This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. The European Commission said it does not expect Russia's Gazprom to restart gas supplies through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline as scheduled on Thursday. The pipeline was closed last week for maintenance, though some suspect Russia is wielding it as a political tool in retaliation for EU sanctions. Gazprom earlier declared force majeure to European buyers, warning that it could not fulfil its supply obligations. China's government warned it would take forceful measures if Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of America's House of Representatives, visits Taiwan. The Financial Times reported that Ms Pelosi plans to visit the island, which China claims, next month. Ms Pelosi would be the first senior American lawmaker to visit Taiwan since Newt Gingrich travelled to the island as Speaker in 1997. China reported almost 700 new cases of COVID-19 on Monday, its highest tally in nearly two months. Most cases were recorded in the southern region of Guangxi and the northwestern province of Gansu. Lockdowns have been imposed in both places. In Shanghai, the financial capital, officials launched a campaign to test around 20 million people to prevent another lockdown. Sajith Premadasa, Sri Lanka's opposition leader, withdrew from the race to replace Gotabaya Rajapaksa, the disgraced former president who fled the country amid widespread protests. Mr Premadasa pledged his support for Dulles Alaparuma, a candidate from a breakaway group of the ruling party. Mr Alaparuma will challenge Ranil Wickremesinghe, the acting president, and Aruna Desanayaka, a leftist leader, in a vote in parliament which takes place on Wednesday. Chuck Schumer, America's Senate Majority Leader, said he would call a vote on a $52 billion package of subsidies to chip makers as soon as Tuesday. Two years in the making, the legislation was prompted by fears that China's semiconductor industry has raced ahead of America's. Senators are expected to vote on a pared-down version of the bill, which scraps other provisions related to American competitiveness. The London listing of Arm, a British chip designer, was delayed amid Britain's political instability, according to the Financial Times. SoftBank, the company's Japanese owner, had been lobbied by British politicians to list Arm, one of Britain's few tech success stories, in London. Though SoftBank had considered a dual listing in London and New York, the resignation of Boris Johnson, Britain's Prime Minister, reportedly prompted a change of plan. Swedish-born pop artist Klaus Oldenburg, known for turning everyday objects into monumental sculptures, died in Manhattan. The 93-year-old artist's subjects included a baseball bat, an apple core and a clothes peg. In 2009, his sculpture Typewriter Eraser sold for $2.2 million at auction in New York. And fact of the day. £30.5 billion. The opening market capitalisation of Halion, the largest new entrant on the London Stock Exchange since 2011. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Europe's deadly heat. On Tuesday, temperatures in some parts of Britain may hit a record-breaking 40 degrees Celsius, 
Things are even worse elsewhere in Europe, where a severe heat wave has sparked enormous wildfires in Greece, Portugal, and Spain. Central and southern parts of America are enduring a historically hot summer too. And last week, cities in eastern and southern China saw unusually high temperatures. Heat waves are becoming more frequent and worse because of climate change. They are also more likely to happen simultaneously across countries. This could be because it is hotter everywhere. With each fraction of a degree of global warming, temperature spikes become more extreme. Or it might be because climate change is altering the jet stream, the name given to air currents that snake through the upper atmosphere, though the link is not yet clear. Either way, more and more people are struggling with high temperatures that they are not prepared for. Many thousands will die. Putin and Erdogan in Iran. The presidents of Russia and Turkey are in Iran on Tuesday to discuss the war in Syria. All three countries are involved in the conflict, and all want it to end. Russia's Vladimir Putin and Iran's Ebrahim Raisi, backers of the Syrian government, will offer each other firm support. The role of Recep Tayyip Erdogan, Turkey's leader, is more complicated. Turkey backs opposition forces in Syria, although it has often sought Russia's consent to launch armed defensives against Kurdish insurgents based in the country's north. Mr. Erdogan is currently planning another such operation, but this time Russia and Iran want him to stop. The leaders may also discuss Ukraine, where their relationship is equally tangled. Turkey has sold drones to Ukraine, while Iran reportedly plans to help arm Russia, and Mr. Erdogan hopes to help avert a global food crisis by creating a safe naval corridor for grain exports through the Black Sea. Russia has been blockading Ukrainian ports. In Tehran, the Turkish president hopes to persuade Mr. Putin to agree to a deal. For this tense trio, though, that will not be easy. Seeking answers in Aspen. America's security and foreign policy elite gathers in Colorado on Tuesday for the Aspen Security Forum, a four-day talk fest about the gloomy state of a fast-changing world. Attendees include Jake Sullivan, Joe Biden's national security adviser, and William Burns, the head of the CIA. Much has changed since their virtual meeting last year, when the Taliban did not yet rule Afghanistan, Russia had not yet invaded Ukraine, and inflation had not yet rocketed. These new challenges provoke many questions, but few clear answers. Can America help beat back Russia's invasion? Can it hold the line against China in Asia? Can its economy thrive amid the disruptions of war, COVID, and high energy prices? Indeed, can America revitalize its own democracy given polarization at home? Defeating Russia could provide new confidence, but a long war looms in Ukraine, and after the midterm elections in November, America's Congress may tire of providing tens of billions of dollars worth of arms and aid. The Aspen crowd has its work cut out. Netflix's big cliffhanger. The last installment of Netflix's earnings in April shocked shareholders. Not only had the company lost 200,000 subscribers in the first quarter, but bosses warned it was likely to shed two million more in the second, around one percent of total subscribers. That news sparked a share price crash and left investors on the edge of their seats. 
On Tuesday, the cliffhanger will end as the company reports its second quarter earnings, and investors will learn just how many subscribers have left. Netflix is working on a revival plan, including a subscription tier with adverts, which it thinks could boost revenues. Hoping to increase the number of subscribers, bosses are trying to crack down on the sharing of passwords. But as inflation grows and consumers cut back on spending, Netflix faces an uphill battle. It will have to make its own spending cuts too. That makes the release of The Gray Man this week rather awkward. With a budget of two hundred million dollars, it is Netflix's most expensive film yet. Bye bye to the mystery of American Pie. When Don McLean's ubiquitous folk anthem "American Pie" starts to play, fans know they are in for nearly nine minutes of cryptic references to rock and roll history, the Vietnam War, and America itself. The song, which hit number one in 1972, captured several generations. It has over 500 million plays on Spotify. To celebrate its 50th anniversary, a documentary released on Paramount Plus on Tuesday explores the song's influence and its mysterious lyrics. In "The Day the Music Died," Mr. McLean, who has long been cagey about the meaning in the lyrics, recalls he wrote all its verses in just one hour. That might explain why, disappointingly, the lyrics are revealed to be less interesting than fans might like. The quote, "Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost" refers to the actual Holy Trinity, not, as some have speculated, John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, and Martin Luther King. Bob Dylan is not quote, "the jester," and Elvis is not quote, "the king." Listeners searching for meaning will come up as dry as Mr. McLean's levee. Daily quiz. Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours BST on Friday to quizespresso@economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Tuesday. Which heiress was kidnapped by the Symbionese Liberation Army in 1974? Monday, which legendary drummer died at the age of 80 last year? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Edgar Degas, who was born on this day in 1834. There is a kind of success that is indistinguishable from panic. That's the world in brief from the Economist. Available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to the Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app to start listening. <laughs> 